show coming up on December 30th that we wanted to tell you about. 2019 has been a breakthrough year for the wide-ranging indie jam community. Three of the most exciting acts in the larger genre, Riley Walker, Chris Forsyth, and Garcia Peoples, have each released standout records and performed excellent month-long residencies throughout New York City. Now all three are teaming up for a highly anticipated fish after show on December 30th at La Poisson Rouge, Electric in the Village, presented by Osiris Media. Just a 10-minute ride downtown on the A-Line, the show is sure to go deep into the night and blur the lines between the collective groups. Yeah, normally I have a tendency to avoid fish after parties just because I've already dance as much as I can dance for three hours seeing an incredible band, but I will make an exception for this one, because I was fortunate to catch some of the uh, Garcia people and Chris Forsyth residencies they had at New Blue. Each show was fantastic. The first Chris Forsyth show where he was backed by Garcia Peoples in early September was one of the best shows I've seen this year, and I'm very excited to see them do it all again. Tickets are on sale now at LPR.com. 15 bucks in advance, $20 the day of the show. A dollar of each ticket purchased will be donated to the Waterwheel Foundation, supporting local needs in Vermont. December 30th is always a standout show for fish. Keep the, keep the jams going at LPR for Electric in the Village, presented by Osiris Media, with Riley Walker, Chris Forsyth, and Garcia Peoples. Your 2020 self will thank you from the future. David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 83 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast that was generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic only focus on everything that their favorite band does, recounting setless dates, times, and whatnot. We're trying to do something about that. But at the same time, irrespective of your fish love 
We're really just trying to introduce the listener here to as much new, new music as possible. This is a deep pond. It's a deep pond. It's a wide pond. It's a wild pond. It's Ooh. a heavily fermented pond, if you will. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> we're talking like algae? Oh, man, we're talking like yeast and fermentation and all the crazy stuff that brings us wild sours that five years ago people were questioning and wondering, why in the hell would anybody drink this? And now I drive around Denver, Colorado, and I see there's a sour brewery, mm. there's a sour brewery. And that's what we're kind of trying to do here. You know, we're kind of on the outside looking in of coolness and pop culture, and we're just here to help you guys. You know what I mean? We are the the Britannomyces and Lactobacillus of podcasts. <laughs> we are whenever Fish plays a Velvet Underground of podcasts. Ooh. And we've got a really cool podcast here for you guys. This is, uh, we're, we're pulling an audible here. This is an unexpected pod at the end of 2019. If there's anything that this year has been defined by for us outside of the music of Fish, it has been the realm and the world of indie jam. Going back to our interviews with Dom and Mike from Beyond Beyond is Beyond, conversation with Rob Mitchum about the storage jam, so many features throughout the year on Garcia Peoples, as well as our interview with Chris Forsyth, and now here as we work alongside of our uh, great Osiris podcast network to present for you guys perhaps the best indie jam show of the entire year. We have an episode for you guys that's kind of the culmination of all of that. Uh, I was lucky to be in a position to have Riley Walker and Ryan Jewell and Ryan's wonderful girlfriend, Danette, over for Thanksgiving last week. And uh, while we were hanging out, uh, we threw on the old recorder, did a bunch of chatting, talked about music, talked about their partnership, their musical influences, where they're at from a musician standpoint, what it's like to be on the road 300 days a year. We got a private jam session in my basement from uh, the both of them. And then I went out and saw uh, a Riley Walker and Ryan Jewell show at the Bluebird Theater here in Denver, Colorado. And it was one of the best concerts I've seen all year. And uh, we wanted to celebrate that. We wanted to feature that here in this episode. Yeah, I was, uh, when Brian told me this was going down, I was incredibly excited and surprised. This was a really fantastic get. I've been uh, spending much of 2019 listening to both the music of Riley Walker and Ryan Jewell, especially, I'd say Ryan Jewell probably ends up playing drums on about 60% of the things I listened to this year. <laughs> but yeah, like Brian's saying, it's been a really phenomenal year for Indie Jam. All those bands are really coming into their own, and I think you're really going to like both this interview and uh, the live session that we have here. Absolutely, and as I hinted at, uh, we're working alongside of Osiris uh, to promote and present the December 30th Electric in the Village after show. You probably heard something about it here at the top of this episode, as well as many other Osiris uh, episodes here over the last couple weeks and into the last month of the year. Uh, Riley Walker, Chris Forsyth, and Garcia Peoples are all headlining a fantastic after show at Le Poisson Rouge following the fish show. 
on December 30th. We encourage you guys all to check that out. And I think that this episode should serve notice as to why the music of Riley Walker and Ryan Jewell is so worth hearing at this point in time. And uh, I, I think if you enjoy this, if you're going to be in New York City for that show, for the Fish show, please make your way over to La Poisson Rouge for Riley Walker, Chris Forsyth, and Garcia Peoples. To say you won't be disappointed is an insane understatement. To say that your brain might crack open and the brain matter might spill out onto the streets of New York City following the show, that's that's very, very possible. It's going to be a great show. Yeah, I think as I said on this podcast in the past, I kind of had the self-imposed rule, no fish after shows, just because of I've spent two hours and 45 minutes dancing my buns off to maybe the best improvisational rock act in America. Why do I want to see a band do the same thing and not as good? But that is in no way the case here. This is going to be a phenomenal show, a unique show. I will absolutely be there with bells on. You can say hi. I'll be uh, probably watching Ryan Jewell do what he does while uh, my brain slowly drips out my ears onto the floor. Not going to be a pretty sight, actually. (laughs) Oh, man, I wish I could be there. Uh, Well, without further ado... Hope that you guys enjoy this. Like I said, this is uh, Riley Walker and Ryan Jewell hanging out in my basement, talking music, talking their influences. Uh, We're going to throw in a private jam session that they gave for me, my wife, my son. My son was so stoked to uh, check it out. And then um, play a little bit about of the uh, Riley Walker, Ryan Jewell set from November 29th, 2019 at the Bluebird Theater in Denver, Colorado. This is the first live basement Beyond the Pond studio episode ever. So I'm here with Ryan Jewell and Riley Walker uh, hanging out day after Thanksgiving. How you guys doing? Good. Thanks for the potatoes you made last night. They were extra buttery, just like my grandma <laughs> used to make. <laughs> Mid- very great. Midwestern. <laughs> um, so you guys have been on the road for what, like three weeks at this point in time? I three, three years more like it, but yeah, three weeks this time. Three weeks this time. Yeah, uh, yeah. November first was the first show in LA. Right? Okay. So whatever so this is, this is Thanksgiving. East Coast. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. West Coast to East Coast, and then kind of zigzagging up and down, and then yeah, it ends like December eighth or ninth or something like that in San Francisco. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So you go back west. Yeah. Um, and you guys are supporting Black Mountain. Yes, Black Mountain uh, rock and roll band from Vancouver, Canada, or based in Vancouver, Canada, I guess. Very cool. How's the tour been? It's been exciting. We get to open up, which I think is a cool gig. We're on early, done early. Um, and I don't think most of their audience knows us, so we kind of get to fuck around and like make some weird sounds, and it's been a lot of fun. Kind of low-pressure gig, and we're getting good sleep, eating good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all right. Right on. Um, and so the opening gig, from what I've seen, and I'm really looking forward to the show here tonight, um, from what I've seen, 
and heard just via social, it's pretty wild jam session. That's what we go for. It's yeah? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like pretty free, improv-y, far out, psychedelia, drony, raga-y, folky, pretty, ugly, dirty, poopy, pee-pee. <laughs> All condensed into 30 to 40 minutes to make a one long song, um, which is kind of going back in a way for either of us. We've been playing songs a long time together, and it's fun to go back to kind of how... Um, I started touring, you know, which is just kind of long form improv noise pieces. And it's been, I think we're pretty good at it and it's been a lot of fun. Well, you guys are responsible for, I'd say two of my favorite live sets of the last two years. One being your Fort Collins show from last year. That's very song and then jammy Uh kind Mm -hmm. of like fuse the idea of like indie rock and the jam world in a lot of ways. But then the March 5th show with Steve Gunn that you guys both were uh, yeah. up in, um, Union, in Pool. Brooklyn? Union Pool. Union yeah. Pool. Yeah. Which is released on Husky, Husky Pants Records. Uh, Riley Walker Flops in New York. Is that what it's called? Uh, uh, Steve Gunn, Ryan Jewell, Riley Walker Flops oh, in yes. New York. Okay, yes. Yeah, that was part of a residency I was doing at Union Pool in Brooklyn earlier this year. Ryan played on all the sets, actually. And that one was just a lot of fun, and Steve's an old friend of ours. We thought it'd be cool to put out a record of it. And the Fort was the first one, too, right? I think it was the first. It was the first one. Yeah, that was the first of the four weeks. And the Fort Collins show, it's funny. Like, it's cool to have people bring that. People bring that show up to me a lot. And it's funny because I think that was the first show Ryan had joined on that tour. Oh, no way. Oh, that's right. Because before that was... I flew out to Denver. Yeah, you flew out to Denver. And that was like the first show of the (laughs) tour you were on. Because before that, I think we had Quinn. I think Quinn was on drums. Yeah, and then like you joined on the second half of the tour. And the songs kind of just took on a whole new life. And that was... I brought the Wook. Yeah, I brought the Wook. (laughs) um, As part of your checked luggage. And I think... There was like nobody there. <laughs> it's, really? It's kind of funny like that people enjoy that show a lot. It's like, I think there was like seven people there, you know? So I guess we didn't have much to lose. So <laughs> we kind of just went for it. Right. And it's just fun when somebody, especially like on a tour like that, where there's like a revolving door of musicians, like everybody sure. kind of brings their own personality. And I think Ryan definitely brings a personality of long form, tight, groovy stuff that I, I really enjoy playing with. I love you, Ryan. Love you too, Riley. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> is that something that you've influenced on Riley, or is that something that was always kind of in your musical past and it's coming out more now? Or is it com- something that kind of just like ebbs and flows as you're playing and developing? Like, did I influence yeah, Riley? Yeah, from like a jamming, experimental standpoint in a live no, setting. I don't... I, don't well, I've, I haven't... No, I don't think so. I think, I think, we're, I think we're both of us are just into like... Five trillion different things. Like sure. we're just like, just our ears are pretty open to like, a, liking a lot of different kinds of music. So, um, but I mean, I play. Uh, I I have tendencies in the way that I play and things okay. like choices that I would make, maybe that would be different. Yeah, from other. Yeah, I don't come from the jam world at all. I just thought like all bands jammed. When I was <laughs> Even like when I was younger, I thought. I wasn't like a deadhead or a, a fish head okay. until later in life. I But like when I was like 18 or 19, I moved to Chicago and got into like the weirdo noise scene. Like everybody jammed, but it wasn't like 
hey man, we're jamming. It's just like everybody improvised, I guess. So even when I started doing like indie rock songs or folky songs or whatever, like the whole idea was like, yeah, like live will jam. Like, sure. Like, sure. And that wasn't like There's more space here. Yeah. It's control. That was like always the intent. Okay. Like I, I never, I don't think I even started doing that in approach of like, I'm a huge deadhead or anything. It's just like sick. Like, oh, I want to sound like Kevin Drum or something. You know, like I, every, I thought everybody improvised in the music world I was in. And I don't, yeah, I don't think it came from the dead at all. I've come to appreciate that music a whole lot nowadays and definitely take a lot from that now. Yeah, it all started like everybody's into like ragas and drones and and Sonic Youth and stuff like that. I, like I was more into like the live Sonic Youth jams. That's right. kind of how I, I still approach it, I think, is the way Sonic Youth jams live. Yeah, they're a good crossover from indie into the jam world. Yeah, totally. Because they have like clear songs. They're like very like focused on song structures. But then you listen to their shows live, and there's 12, 15 minute jams scattered across. It's pretty yeah, awesome. yeah, totally. That, that Murray that, Street record was the one for me yeah, that was yeah. like the closest to these, you know, like three interwoven guitar. I mean, yeah, they've always had lots of like kind of the noisier guitar stuff too, but that one like really is so close to yeah. a lot of other. Yeah, well, that more focus modal, on noise yeah. is kind of the another like differentiation. Like, like I feel like a lot of jam bands I see, there's a focus on melody and trying to create a melody that everyone wants to dance along to and like it wanted to be very collective and kind of more like body driven and like a sonic youth jam and what you guys do tends to be more like headspace driven where like you're not really like there's not a lot of movement encouraged just a lot of like just studying what's happening and trying to like go along with it and like opening your mind up for it. that's at least how i hear it yeah absolutely and also bands like Amandul or oh, Can, yeah. like all those sort of like 60s heavy psych bands were kind of more of an influence than like West Coast Laurel Canyon sure. sort of dead thing. So that's the world I come from as far as jamming. I was listening to like Sandy Bull and John Fahey and the way like Billy Higgins and Sandy Bull communicate with one another, I think was probably like the first light that went off in my head. Like, sure. ooh, like a sick, you know, groovy acoustic guitar with like groovy, like a jazz. I always thought it was cool like, because I was a big Tim Buckley fan too. He had jazz people playing folk music. And, you know, God bless the indie rock scene, but just like, I don't think a lot of, and there's some great musicians, but I don't think a lot of what that particular set of musicians do is something I'm interested in, where it's just, you know, many talented people, but I always look for people who come from like the noise, free jazz world. And that kind of encourages my songwriting and life sets for sure. Those are the collaborations I'm interested in, is people who like get more far out and like take, I guess more chances. And sure. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I feel like the first time I heard you jam was there's like a 40 minute bonus track on Golden Sings. Mm. Oh, yeah, Ryan's on that one too. <laughs> Is that you as well? Yeah, that was, that was really fun. It was like a radio. It was that like Sirius XM, right? It was, DC. it was a DC, yeah, Sirius XM thing. And it's it like was Soul in Mind, I think is yeah. the song you play. Yeah, but it was like a show where normally it's like uh, singer-songwriters come in and they do like you know storytelling kind of vibe where they like play a two-minute song and then they talk about it for a couple minutes oh, we were, you know, we were living in this cabin wrote this song whatever and then we kind of we show up and we show up with it's like you know we're in the middle of a tour and, and there's like a show that night and it's like kind of almost even like an afterthought we sort of like show up and we're like oh yeah we got this thing at like noon or whatever and like show up and we like load in the whole full band stuff and it was like I think a five-piece band right with but yeah, Ben was there. Yeah, Ben was there. Yeah, and so we're like, we bring the whole thing in, and they're like, oh, okay, uh, I guess, okay, I guess we'll get some mics out, and they like mic up the whole band real quick, 
and then we're like, okay, I think we're, I don't even know if we even like announced we're going to start, but we just kind of started playing. And then we, I think they were expecting like maybe a set of songs and we just sort of played, we just, we just played one song for like whatever it is, 40, 45 minutes or something. And then we were like, I could kind of see like behind the glass, like, you know, there was first just like the one or two people there. And then they kind of started like, like they're just jaws were dropping and their eyes were like, like silver dollars. And they kept bringing more people into like, they're basically like, what the fuck is going on? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's like, groovy. yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. That's a really cool set. I remember really enjoying that. And then like listening back to it was so cool. I remember like driving because like they burned us a CD of it right away. Like we're driving a rough mix. I think we had like drive to Philly. Like we're like driving under the bridge in Baltimore. We were like, there's like a part at the end, just like just like so insanely groovy. And we're just like, fuck yeah. We swear, sorry. Yeah, you can't tight. We get the E every time. Yeah, we get freedom right now. Get the E every time. Yeah, this is pirate radio, motherfuckers. Come after this, FCC. Suck my butt, dick. Fuck you. Dick, all, penis. All advertising is coming after us right now. We, uh, We're sponsored by tinypenis.com, <laughs> my website that I built. Sorry. Right. Go there now, Black Friday deals. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that, that performance really reminds me now that I listened to your record with Charles Rumbach. Charles Rumbach. Yeah, just like... Such a focus on acoustic guitar, but like, how droney can we make this sound? And if we have drums behind it that aren't following like a natural rhythm, are really just kind of exploring the ether in a way. Yeah, Charles is a cool drum. Yeah, we made that record over the course of like two years, and it's like, I think it got mixed and mastered like over two years ago, and couldn't really find anybody to put it out. So it's it's cool. It's out there now. I'm happy. Yeah. It's available on thrilljockey.com for all you nugheads out there. Go get it. Um, so let's talk about like your guys' musical partnership and like how you guys work together and whatnot. Um, how did you guys start playing together? Like when did that happen? Well, we were reaching for the same book at Borders, and our yeah. hands touched. <laughs> and I locked eyes. And I said, "I knew this is the free jazz drummer." Uh, chicken soup for the indie jam soul. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. Uh, well, the story goes back about ten years. No, I think I saw I had seen Ryan play at various venues in Chicago, doing like cool percussion and noise stuff. And I th- and then we were gonna play in Columbus with my friend Andrew Young, who plays bass and a lot of stuff. Him and Ryan were friends. I don't know where I saw you play first, but I saw you play in Chicago somewhere. I can't remember. Or maybe I saw you at Voice of the Valley. I don't know. Voice of the Valley was, or still, I think it's still going on as far as I know. Like a noise festival out in West Virginia. Right. Middle of nowhere in West Virginia. Super cool. Yeah, and that was cool. Yeah. That was like a really cool, uh, and I think it still is going on. I'm sure it's still cool. I'm just so out of the loop right now. And I, th- it was like this cool event once a year where everybody was just stoked, like everybody in the noise scene around the Midwest, mostly, in like some New York. And very few people that aren't, I mean, at least then it was like, it was mostly just musicians playing for other musicians. It was kind of this very like, maybe 100 people show up, but like 80 80 of them are playing. But it was like the gathering every year. It's like everybody like brought their A game, you know, like like every (laughs) summer, like you'd be like, oh dude, I wonder what B-Mask is going to do or what Emeralds is going to do. It was just like everybody would like bring like their heat like that year. That's like the year where you're like, all right, here's my new setup. Just like, I guess around that time it was mostly based around like cool synth music, like Tangerine Dreamy yeah. stuff and Brutal Noise and just really far out stuff and like a lot of like 
drug cocktails and stuff. And like it was, you know, it was a total party. And I think I'd seen Ryan play there. You did like a snare set in the river. You were at the creek set? Yeah, dude. Oh. Which is like a legendary set there. Like some people say it's like their favorite. Ryan, just like Ryan Jewell doing like a, just a snare drum, like sitting in a creek. You know, this is like the kind of vibe is. <laughs> it, everybody's that. just, there's like, there's a stage with like a nice PA. Yeah. Then they'd be like, yo, Ryan's playing in the river, dude. Yeah. He's just like in a river. Everyone else, like these like super loud, kind of like, I don't want to say macho, but like just like very like heavy, a lot of heavy, heavy, heavy noise stuff coming okay. through the big PA or like these kind of blissed out synth Tangerine Dream type sets. Yeah, but then I was like, I'd been getting quieter and quieter and experimenting with like more micro, micro, real super detailed, like improvisation stuff with like you know silence. I mean, it's not like I'm not like I mean, there's sort of a school of improvisation that, that you know electroacoustic stuff that people do that. But like, yeah, and I was like, I was like, ah, I don't really feel like vibing with the PA. I'm just gonna like find a spot and and yeah. Anyway, yeah. and it ruled. I think that's the first time I yeah. saw him. And then a couple years later, maybe. Played a show together in Columbus. Okay, where he this was. This is like early 2010s. Did you mention Emerald? Sorry. Late late O's, early 10s. Probably like 08, 07, 08, 09. Oh, okay, there. okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I was probably like 19 years old at that time. Sweet, 30 now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I was for the, for that the first time that we actually played together. I remember it was like uh, it was Wolf. opening for AIDS Wolf. AIDS Wolf and Dead I, Rider. Yeah, and I was I was wanting to do something with Andrew, and he was like he's like hey, there's this guitar like guy. He's like. He's like crazy, and he's like, <laughs> he's like a kid, but he totally shreds. He's got like, like just SG, like, you know, just kind of like he was like, I think he said like Sonny Chirac, Derek Bailey. He's got, he could do it. He's like, he's really amazing, great listener, and all this stuff. And I was like, cool, let's try it, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was great. It was like a great. It was immediately like, oh yeah, it was great. Let's do it. Yeah, again. that was fun. Uh, it was that place called Bat Chapters, which I'm sure is no longer very short lived. Yeah. Yeah. So just I guess the Midwest Noise Network. Sure. It was pretty tight knit. And again, I'm sure it still is. I'm just like old and jaded and it's for the kids, you know. This is back in the late 2000s, you know. But yeah, I think everybody's pretty solidly crewed up. Like, I was in the Chicago crew. R- Ryan was part of like the Columbus, Ohio crew. And plus like Columbus, Cleveland. And Michigan's C- close. And Cincinnati. Close. Yeah, there was like kind of this cool network. Wolf Eyes were like two hours away. Yeah, Wolf so, Eyes yeah. was like at the top of the pyramid. Okay. And then like Emeralds and like every everybody kind of just... And Chicago had like tons of great bands at that time. Man, I would tons of great spaces. Another Emeralds record. Yeah, Emeralds was like the big dogs in that scene. Yeah, I first, it's still it's still are really highly influential. They were. Um, I used to go to this uh, fish forum on like a daily basis. Fantasy tour. Fantasy tour. Oh, yeah, and uh, shout out to Fantasy tour. <laughs> and uh, you could you could you know fall into these just wormholes of arguing about fish shows in really meaningless ways but there were also threads that would be set up that were there were these two users who were always just throwing out the greatest music ever and I remember the first day like I got an Emeralds it was a it's a side A side B compilation it was just two ambient tracks it was before I even heard um, uh, what was their 2010 record does it look like I'm still here does it look like I'm here yeah that's, like I'm that's here? an amazing record Yes. Still holds up really hard. And that, like, somehow, like, tightened the sound of theirs, but it was still, like, super wild and super experimental. Um, but, yeah, no, I was just saying I that record, like, turned me on to so much of what was possible, with, especially this, like, synth noise-based music. It sounds like you guys, did you, were you a fan of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I remember I first saw them, there was this, like, yeah, pre, like, really, really early. I mean, it was, like, yeah. 
became friends pretty early on. And they were like, um, I first saw them, they played opening for this band, Birds of Delay, which was like an a band from England. This was like probably 2006 or something. Like pretty, yeah. And it was even before they were, it was almost not even quite since yet. It was like still, I, I think they had TVs back then. I have to like, Asking yeah, about just it. jamming TVs through delays. Yeah, <laughs> it really, it like seriously was like it was even yeah. it was even more kind of um, and there was Bantusco Terror too. There's like, yeah, it was just like, I mean, I grew up in Ohio, so it was like they were okay. Yeah, yeah they were kind of everywhere. They were kind of point. yeah, just yeah, just around playing basements and art yeah. spaces. It was a pretty exciting time. Yeah. I guess it just goes with being young. I was excited when I was young. That was a pretty exciting time for music. It got me really excited, and I was like a big Sonic Youth fan in high school, and I wanted to be in a band like Sonic Youth. And that, and once I met all my crazy noise friends, I was like, "Well, I want to sound like Derek Bailey." Okay. And like Fred, Fred was a big one. Sonny Schrock was a big one. Um, just like in Glenn Branca. So you know, I got like, and Faye was big at the time for me. So I just got really into like noise guitar. So that was my big focus then, and that, that's all I wanted to do. And as soon as I saw like this band, Cabo Ladies, and like Bloody Minded in Chicago. There were so many cool bands. Chicago. Yeah, yeah like really stuff, cool, yeah. like late 2000s Chicago noise stuff was going on. I, I was like, cool, this is my scene. Sure. I'm a noise guy now. <laughs> what up? <laughs> and like that was all improv, you know, like it wasn't. And that's where I got an improvisation, I think. It was like you meet up at your friend's shitty basement on the south side of Chicago and like, yeah, we're going to have a show, five bucks, you know. And a guy who opens up like. Just has like a boss metal zone and a microphone. He's like, <laughs> you know, that was they making it up. And then it'd be like me and I don't know, like we mentioned Andrew Young. We had like a duo on acoustic guitars called Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming was sick. And that was just like basically breaking acoustic guitars, you know. And the idea was like, yeah, we're like improvising. It wasn't, you know. So that's totally how I, it's kind of still how I approach improvising in music is through that. Just like based on raw energy and like ripping the guts out of the guitar, and I love melody and all those great players, but I still approach it from like, you know, we're in a dank basement in Iowa City, improvising right now. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like a studied Berkeley sort of thing. So on that point, I want to ask you: Was there ever like a point where that changed for you? Because a lot of your recorded music, at least like songs, are quite different from like ripping the guts out. Yeah, like they're more. Feel like more pastoral like english folk in a lot of cases like i feel like death man glance is like the first record that like you can hear the kind of dirginess and like the dirt within it um like primrose green uh -huh. sings like they're very they're not straightforward in any way those like songs are super complicated but like did you find that you like diverted from noise to like write songs and have like come back or like was that always like an underlying aspect of like inspiration for you uh i always like songs and stuff but i, I can kind of pinpoint it i went on a tour with this other guitarist daniel bachman yeah like 10 years ago and that was the first tour i ever did where we were just because i got really into finger picking like being a big fahey fan a couple years before and that was a we did like a whole summer tour was just me and him doing like finger pick songs and I was like man and in the van we always listened to like Tim Harden and Tim Buckley and stuff so I'm kind of like I kind of think I just want to do this now like these guys have like far out jazz players in their bands they're weird so I kind of got more into I was thinking more 
on that train of thought of like songwriting. It's definitely that I can like pinpoint to that tour for sure. Like, cause that was like all summer of 2009 or 10, 2009. And then like by the end of that summer, I was just like in full finger picking songwriting mode. And for a while I just did solo guitar, like finger picking stuff, okay. like Robbie Basho sort of vibe. And then I started to add like lyrics and singing stuff. And it kind of just molded into that. So that tour definitely like changed the game up for, cause I was in noise bands before. And then it was just like, he brought up the idea, like, want to do, like, a duo tour where we just, like, I played 12-string, he played 6-string with, like, pretty finger-pick stuff. So I got really into that. And, like, listening to, like, Six Organs of Admittance, too, a lot. That was a big one. Like, all that kind of, like, freak book stuff. Six Organs, Ben Chasney was, like, a big one. Because he comes Jack from, Jack like, Rose was around. Jack Rose was around. Yeah, like, I, I really liked that scene a lot, too. So I kind of floated more towards that at that time. Sweet, sweet. How about yourself? Like, what, what was kind of your journey over the last 10 years from, uh overall like development standpoint mine's kind of weird because i've it i've always sort of been like doing like five things at once so <laughs> i would always have i you are like the busiest man and like the busiest drummer i know if your instagram feed is just like from one session to another show to another session it's unbelievable that i'll take it as a compliment yeah maybe yeah okay, yeah uh it's, it's unreal <laughs> um but yeah so like like i've always been like I would be into, you know, like Ferris Sanders things and like I would be like learning that like trying to learn how to play like Elvin Jones or something, but then I would also be into like, you know, trying to lock in like session like I would I would kind of sort of wanted to be like a se- the studio session drummer sort of thing where I'd be like so I'd play along to like Shania Twain mm. and like really mm. you know, like whatever like really like have like a tight beat like yeah, and, and then uh but then I was into like yeah, and just like I mean a bunch of like pop music and weird like yeah Scott and Sonic Youth and like well Velvet Underground from Velvet Underground to Sonic Youth from them to like everybody you know and then uh, but at some point I got into like also like 20th century like weird you know modern classical music stuff I got into like uh, like Zanakis and like uh, Pauline Oliveros and all this sort of like 20th century experimental stuff and then sort of later and, and I, I went to, like, music school for, like, a couple years, and it, I was sort of like this, like, just a sponge, like, absorbing, like, either, like, really far out stuff or really, 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 like, kind of, I don't say generic, but just really, really, like, pop stuff, too. Like, sure. really just, like, the, the full spectrum. And, like, even, like, push... Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of people, like, sort of have, like, this ring of, like, that, like, that's... You know, I like something that's weird, but that's a little bit too weird. Or I like things that are poppy, but that's too poppy. I always even like to kind of push those boundaries for myself of like, like even if there's something that's, I always sort of blame myself if, if I didn't like something. Sure. I'd be like, I'd be like on a first listen, I'd be like, oh man, this, I really don't like this. Either because it's too sugary and too poppy or because it's so out that's like, you know, a, a dog whistle sine wave for three and a half hours <laughs> you know like that's too out Deep why cut, don't man yeah no i'm like why don't i like this but i would like i would like try i would want to understand it more you know sure. what i mean get into like why and so it sort of like expanded my my listening you know like either with i'm playing or it basically just gave me more um a broader palette of of interests or like tools or something to, to make music so i guess like and then i from already being into that stuff, I remember like I first, I saw that there was like uh, a hair police show. I think I'd read like about them in a magazine or something weird. I can't remember how it even hap- happened, but like then through that, I found out that there was 
that there were people today making this kind of stuff in like basements and that's how I kind of got first tapped into it so I was already like like I you know I played tons of like jazz things and I would do like you know be in a bunch of different like my friends rock bands and do like punk things and play with folk musicians and I was doing I was already kind of like doing and I would even do like um you know cover band gigs in southern Ohio playing like you know blues bar bands like I just sort of did I just ate up everything I possibly could um but then when I found out about this like the experimental music that I was into I found out that there were people today still making it um that and I was like oh cool so like I sort of was able to like actually exercise that part of my brain that I loved so much you know what I mean to like to do those things so um so I Riley is like one of my favorite people to play with because he has all of those other like so many different elements sure. in there so it's like yeah we can we can go we can go into something that's like really beautiful or something that's really like out there and it's and there there aren't yeah that's kind of a somewhat rare thing to like to yeah. be able to go that deep with that many different things i think right, right. yeah that's always been a, a point of the jam is to kind of make pretty and make it as far out and also not to like alienate an audience but to just like defy expectations which i know sounds cliche but i like not having the same set every night i right. like being in the indie rock world and people being like whoa i've never seen shit like that you know um, it's fun to like open up for Black Mountain and play kind of like a far out noise set, and you know people who and and I'm glad that the audience that we've built over the years um, has come to expect like you know the show like not to be something you expect you know like right. we might not play the tunes we might just do like a 45 minute drone set, and I really enjoy that and that's like one of the great things that I'm really proud of, and because we work really hard man we tour so much. And it's great to like have like a new set every night, and to have the audience not expect to see the same set. You know, like I like when people come like I didn't know what to expect tonight. I definitely didn't expect that. Like that's I, awesome. I, I I will even say I didn't even know what to expect because I, when I flew out and met you in California, met you at, at I just we basically just like flew out and met at the show in L.A. Sure. And set up, and then it was only like right before we played. I heard you say to the sound person like, "Oh, I don't need a vocal mic." And yeah. I was like, oh, shit, we're doing something. Yeah. We're doing improv. I, I, know, I like, sort of assumed we were going to do songs. I don't know why I just assumed. Yeah. Just opening for Black Mountain, I was like, oh, we'll probably do like duo versions of the songs. Sure. Or something. Sure. Yeah. And With jamming, but I thought, but, right, right. but then it was like, it was like, oh, this is like, we're going, we're going back to our roots. Yeah. And, and kind of like on a, on a weird personal journey, like I, I was getting really good at that sort of stuff, like noise and improvising and jamming when I was like 10 years ago. I felt myself, you know, for that age, at least, you know, there's obviously... A lot of things I could have done better and learned a lot more. But I felt myself getting really good at that like 10 years ago. Like I was really locked in. Like I could really hang. But like just kind of doing songs over the last five or six years, I, I sort of lost that. And I really miss playing that sort of music. So right now I'm just trying to get tapped into that world again. Because that, that's like what inspires my songwriting. Like like a big bout of dryness of that. And just getting to like a harsh noise world or something. So I feel like right now like I'm just getting juiced up to like write more songs you know yeah. like kind of exploring like different ways to play the guitar or how to listen to the drums or how to listen to another musician um that inspires the songs themselves you know so this is all in preparation for like the next record you know and once i'm tired of the next record it'll be like cool i want to do some noise again <laughs> it's just fun you know it's like creatively stimulating it, it feels good to have like a working room and professional and um 
I was about to make a joke, sexual relationship with Ryan, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and our you did make sexual a joke. relationship. <laughs> um, it's great to have a working relationship together where there's a lot of trust and a lot of give and a lot of take, and we know how to listen to each other. And you're a very good listener, Riley. Yeah, and now that I'm not fucked up anymore, I think I can appreciate the music more, and I'm very proud of that. You are a better listener now. Thanks. <laughs> I physically couldn't listen before. It was the booze. Yeah. So it's nice. It's it's a very creative, inspiring time right now, and I'm excited to take my sweet time writing new songs because I'm, I'm just enjoying the hell out of this yeah. sort of music right now. So my only intention when I get back to New York, whenever in a month or something, is to just kind of buckle down and do this more and see how that can stimulate the songs okay i like that um it's interesting you guys talk about the like conflicts right where like the dichotomy between like playing straight sets and playing really kind of wild noise and were you did you drum on all of the Forsyth gigs in september the new blue residency uh yes all of them except for the very first one because we were actually, I was on tour with Riley, and we we had we were playing at Hopscotch that weekend. Cool. So then, but then I yeah did all the others. Well, the reason I ask is like th- both Chris's and Riley, your uh, residencies kind of followed a similar train in the sense that like one or two of the shows was kind of straight ahead songs, and like these are. It's hard for Chris to play a song like Techno Top less than like twenty five minutes, but you know as like straight ahead as like you could get. But then there was that one set with Dave Harrington were you playing on that oh yeah uh-huh. it was just like an hour of noise psych like it reminded yeah, me of on, your yeah. uh, set with Steve Gunn when you guys played together and I feel like those residencies are such a cool way to showcase the just diversity of this type of scene and like broader scene in the sense where you have like hard you know or you have uh, core songs that can be really showcased and they're really good songs and Someone could come to your show. Like the last time I saw you was opening up for Richard Thompson. Yeah, and you were just playing like straight folk acoustic. Yeah, um, I was really fat then. Were you? Yeah, I lost because like I just got a friend of mine just sent me a picture from that set, and I was just <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, I was getting fat. I was just like looking like a fucking catcher's mitt, man. It was nuts. <laughs> Sorry, that was a good set though. It was a great set. I remember like really enjoying that one. Just, but I was really sad at that time too. Where? Oh my god! Oh yeah. Well, this isn't that kind of podcast. But that was just such a bad night for me. No, I remember. I remember that. Yeah, Yeah. I mean that tour was just like crazy. Yeah. And like it was, but I mean I was just fucked up. You gave me a vinyl that night. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I tried to like buy it from you, and you're like, no, just take it. Yeah. Like, what the hell is this? Uh, (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) No, it's all good. Um, but, um, so let's talk. I'm not totally sure when this is going to be released at this point in time, but um, either before or right after your guys' kind of mini tour that you're going to be doing with Garcia Peoples and Chris Forsyth, um, which I know you've played with Garcia Peoples. I know obviously you've played with Chris. Were you all over All Time Present? Was it was yeah, that yeah. all your uh-huh. drumming? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that kind of you were talking about like how you you find yourself being able to drum just like very straightforward pop but also like experimental i feel like that album is just like filled with both ideas like tomorrow might as well be today i feel like could be an adult contemporary hit (laughs) i mean in the best way possible yeah yeah um but then like songs like dream song techno top like that just kind of allows you to fuck around it's more stretched out yeah um but so like obviously very different groups but three like-minded 
artists, like, what is it like for you guys right now um, seeing, like, these kind of three, you, Chris, Garcia people's really kind of rise from, like, a live session standpoint, but also putting out really quality records. Like, it kind of feels like you guys are marrying, like, the best of both worlds for yourselves from a musical, from an artistic standpoint. Do you you see it that way? Yeah, totally. Um, I don't see the music as a rejection of anything, but I think the indie rock world... I mean, I guess, I mean, whatever, fuck them, you know? It's like, I mean, the music is good. Like, I'm yeah. not against I'm not against music or musicians. Yeah, yeah. It's just like that world is right. like, I don't know, man. It's just like I've played in front of indie rock crowds, and it's just kind of boring. Sure. So it's cool to, like, to have, just, like, crossing it's your cool arms to have a crowd that, like, is into, like, extended shit and yeah. far out shit. And I've, I've always been attracted to bands who, like, break the mold live, you know? Like, I want to go see them live. I want to see them tear shit up. Whether it's, like, Dinosaur Jr. or Sonic Youth or... You know, whatever. But like the indie rock world, um, you know, I'm not saying this in ways like it's not fucking tough because it is. There's lots of great tough music. It's not about that. It's just like I feel like it's at such a stale, uh, watered down moment right now. So it's like cool to like have musicians be like, well, let's just like tear it up live and have half hour versions of songs or not player songs at all. Right. So I think that's kind of a, a scene I like to be part of. And it's just the melding of the noise world with the indie rock, you know. Um, my friends have always been in the noise scene and in the fringe music scene, so I kind of still feel like part of that. I never really felt like I was in an indie rock community. Unless, of course, their festival wants to pay me $7,000 to be there, <laughs> which I will be on time and very professional. <laughs> but no, it's just like... And sing their praises. This is just an extension of like the shitty Iowa basement scene, yeah. you know? It's just maybe on a bigger scale, and it's cool to see people keeping their ears open and having so much support. And coming out to every show, or like a Garcia People's gig, because they're tearing it up right now, and they're they're doing such cool stuff with guitar music. You know, it's not just like one, two, three, four. Here's the tune. You know, yeah. it's it's always about just defying expectation. And I think all of us coming from like a punk rock world and sort of a having the ethos of you know uh, probably not make any money at this has proved to be really successful and really positive, and it's a really good crew to be with. You're like, with your friends, they're sleeping over, like, we're going to stay up all night. And then, you remember, like, if you're a little kid, you're kind of like, well, you can't stay up all night. It's impossible. We're going to go now to the big Cypress Seminole Indian Reservation in Florida. There was the biggest traffic jam that we know of in the country. Thousands of people from all across the country, all headed to the Everglades to hear the group Fish perform for New Year's. 75,000 people. 75,000 people. And we couldn't really believe that... They were going to play all night. It just didn't even seem possible. Like, how would that even happen? It happened because for the previous 15 years, the band Fish blazed a fearless and unlikely creative path from deepest Vermont to the Florida Everglades and one of the most legendary performances of all time. It was the year of Woodstock 99. The crowds are blowing up CO2 tanks from the tractor trailers. They got the... Troops in there with riot gear. They're forcing everybody out. Mass chaos. Mass chaos. Some 20,000 attended the first Coachella that October. The Backstreet Boys ruled MTV. Moby topped the music critics' polls and licensed every song on his new album for commercial use. Far, far away from everything, everybody, and everywhere, 
in Jack Motlow's Cow Pasture on the Seminole Big Cypress Reservation in Florida with no sponsorship at all. Fish built a city for 75,000 people, erected surrealistic art installations, and staged a three-day festival with one act and one act only on the bill, and then played a seven-hour-long set that lasted from the final minutes of the 20th century into the literal dawn of the 21st. After midnight, Fish's Big Cypress Festival, a new five-episode podcast from Osiris, is the story of how Fish staged one of the strangest concerts in the history of rock music. My name is Jesse Jarno. Join us as we explore how Fish invented their own telepathic, jam-obsessed musical language, built an independent concert industry, and how both came together in the Florida Everglades for an improvisation-filled performance that landed a 15-foot-long hot dog with headlights in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll hear from band members Trey Anastasio. You know, I think we felt like this party was for our friends. And John Fishman. That was the end of a chapter of Fish's life, that and of my life. Former Fish manager John Paluska and others will tell the dramatic, untold story of Fish at Big Cypress. We had to get some alligator wrangler to pull an 11-foot alligator out of the backstage area. That was interesting. <laughs> uh, that was a big alligator. We'll refill the swamp and revisit a legendary independent festival that came to transform the music industry despite being ignored by the mainstream. Fish found someplace better and left behind a map to Big Cypress. After Midnight debuts November 14th on all podcast platforms. Visit OsirisPod.com slash After Midnight to subscribe today. If you're out there on the highways, if you're within the sound of our voice, you're near to Big Cypress, Florida. Thank you. 
Biden's any. Fire from you? Yeah. He, he always tells me that. I didn't know. Pretty cool. Sick. Learn something new about Colorado every time I come here. Nice. Damn. Whoa. I can't. I'm happily sober now on everything, but the last time I was high, thank you. Last time I was high on weed was here a few years ago. I took a bunch of pills, and the lady was like, these won't freak you out, and they freaked me the fuck out. I remember I was browsing through the Eric Dolphy section on Twist and Shot Records, and then like I just started to be like, crying, and I was like, I gotta call my mom. <laughs> and I called my ex-girlfriend and told her that, like, I'm sorry. It's dead serious. One day at a time, folks. <laughs> but I actually celebrated eight months off heroin and coke uh, in a couple days ago. I'm into that recovery. It's, it's nice. Helps me. Thanks. We also play music.
four. One, two, three, four. Played that without nails. It's pretty tough. Yeah, it's not really. Yeah. yeah, it's just like.
Osiris.